Hello and welcome to Swell, the LGBTQ wellbeing podcast. My name is George. My name's Anna. And this is the fourth episode. It's four. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm excited. So in today's episode, um, we're going to be talking about self-care and particularly self-care in the LGBTQ community. Well, of course. Um, why is it such an issue in our community? And specifically, I think what we're going to be looking at is, is it self-care that we're all doing? Or are we all just putting a quick fix on things and not dealing with deeper issues? Using things as self-care, mm-hmm. you know, like alcohol, food, chocolate. Mm-hmm. we've been kind of brought up to treat ourselves in such a way because we've been told it's self-care, you know, like after you have a, a busy week at the office, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I deserve this bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. And some of us are thinking about that we deserve it because it's self-care, but is it really? And it's just a lot of unconscious decision-making. And I think something that's really come out as we've gone through these episodes and slowly unpacked, like, our own trauma and our own issues around our identities is this question that if this is a community that grows up not valuing itself, sometimes our self-care is lacking because if you don't value yourself, the self-care isn't going to be hitting where it needs to be hitting. I think that's true for even if you're not in the LGBTQ Mm. community. If you seriously devalue yourself, then your Mm. self-care routine is not up there because you don't you don't care about yeah, yourself exactly. which is exactly what it is you're not going to give a shit if every day you feel like crap exactly and i think that that is where we're going to start from with this podcast let's talk about a community that doesn't value itself mm. and how that feeds into some of our warped ideas about self-care mm. and what can we do to take better care of ourselves excellent so George and I have been talking and we think one of the biggest issues with self-care in the community is that we kid ourselves that Mm. something is self-care when it's not, okay? And that's no one's fault. We're dealing with a bunch of people who we've previously unpacked are vulnerable, um, have had to be put in a mask, quick fixes on things, and you can't blame people for wanting a quick fix. That, Mm. Like you were saying earlier, if it's the end of the working week, getting a bottle of wine. But what we have to ask is if these people in the community are doing this quick fix all the time. It's not even fixing anything anymore. It's it's the mask, isn't it? It's yeah. fixing a mask. And that harks back to stuff in our childhoods, growing up, being LGBTQ and having to put a mask on to hide who you are. Mm. It gets to the point that you need to ask yourself with your self-care, are you actually taking care of yourself or are you taking care of other people's expectations yeah. as to who you are? And I think that's where it starts to go wrong because I feel like in our community there is an aesthetic that we're all living this fabulous lifestyle where we're drinking we're doing drugs we're staying up late we're partying Mm. and all things are good in moderation but if that is the only way you're taking care of yourself I think it fails to be self-care and it becomes part of a wider cycle Mm. that leaves you feeling you need to take care of yourself and it comes back to conscious and unconscious decisions yeah as with most things like we make an unconscious decision to go and grab a bottle of wine Mm -hmm. Um, and we're not knocking a bottle of wine no not at all but it gets to a point where it's like I should be making conscious decisions Mm -hmm. about my self care and about how things make me feel rather than just being like oh this is what I deserve and this is what I need because is that actually what you need in that moment if you don't feel good is a bottle of wine actually what you need or is it this do you know what I mean yeah definitely so moving on from conscious decisions that we talked about Mm -hmm. um 
I was reading a book the other day and it was basically saying that we make on average 35,000 decisions a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those decisions are life-changing. So you make a decision that you want to be in a relationship with someone, you make a decision that you want to end a relationship, new job, move here. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All these things that can change your life. But then there's the also thousands and thousands of decisions that you make each day that are very small like what socks are you going to wear what shoes oh what bus am I going to get all these really really Mm. tiny decisions um and in a nutshell we are making decisions consciously and unconsciously all the time but we are making too many conscious conscious decisions or unconscious decisions that are affecting what we think is self-care yeah and I think sometimes because of how we've grown up you don't know who who you are it's very hard to take care of yourself and i think sometimes we absorb the self-care decisions of what we see around us yeah so if you're in a community where everyone's like oh you know what we deserve to be flamboyant and queer and great and let's go drink some vodka and do sambuca mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very quickly that is going to start to look like self-care to you yeah that just becomes the norm and sometimes it? we don't even realize the decisions we're making how they influence our self-care That's and you and i have spoken about sometimes like when we've had lapses with like drugs or alcohol mm-hmm. It's not something that creeps up on us and happens. There is a series of events leading up to that moment Mm -hmm. and then it happens. When that happens to me, it doesn't feel like self-care though now. So Mm -hmm. when I had a relapse on drugs before, Mm -hmm. to me, even though I felt it building up and I felt like I wanted to do it, I already knew that it wasn't self-care and that it was a bad decision. Mm -hmm. But it's almost like I couldn't fight against it and then suddenly I'd accepted that that is what I wanted to do, but it wasn't self-care. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Whereas a lot of people make that decision. They're like, this is gonna, this is good for me, for what I need right now. But I feel yeah. like I've become so in tune with it that I know as soon as I do something that isn't good for me. So in and, a way, that's good. And I think that's like, that's privilege with where we're coming from as well. That it, we're people who have gone through stuff and we both feel that we have come out the other side and that we're going to go into that in more depth like later on in the podcast. Mm. Um being in tune with knowing like something's slipping and knowing it's not a good decision that's not something everyone has but it is something you can train yourself to have i'm lucky to have that mm-hmm. and i i appreciate that so now i knew when i did have that relapse that the next day i'd already known before i'd done it that i wasn't going to do it again i'd already decided um so i never used to have that before if i started doing drugs so many years ago i'd be doing it for four days and it would just be like this spiralling effect. And then those four days, it then turns into a couple of weeks or a couple of months of feeling really depressed and continuously then doing drugs thereafter. But now, well, I like to think now I would just wouldn't relapse because that, that's, that's kind of dead in me. But I think there is something there about occasionally just releasing that valve. But yeah. having control over releasing that valve and blowing off pressure. I yeah it's not something that I'd say like deliberately set out to do no but I think there is power and growth in that moment when you know you're about to have a slip up you know it's fine well not self-care yeah but you know it's only going to last a few hours and then the next day you're gonna you're gonna try and pull this back yeah and And knowing that one day doesn't have to be four days exactly but I had to teach myself that Mm -hmm. so now basically what's happening now my adult life is this the relapses are less and less time so before when I first quit I would have what a couple of months without doing it and then it would turn into six months and then have a relapse then it would turn into eight months have a relapse but now it's turning into years 
longer. Yeah. So because you're more reflective. Yeah. As well, and I find that that's something that I have that, as I understand more and more about what led to those behaviors in the first place with alcohol, the times that I do have a drink. I feel it less and less to do with feeling triggered or upset. It's about, I would like to have a drink. Yeah. As opposed to, I need to have a drink. Exactly, exactly. That takes me into kind of like this book that I've been reading. Um, It's called Habits for Happiness. It's on Audible. And it talks about PTSD, um, which obviously we've spoken about in depth. But it also talks on the subject of post-traumatic growth, Mm -hmm. which... I hadn't heard this phrase at all. Um, and my original background is in developmental trauma and dealing with uh, people with PTSD. And I, although I understand what George is about to sort of explain, I've never heard this phrase before. Well, it makes so much sense to me. This is basically what our podcast is about. Yeah, in, 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 in a nutshell, because it's about the growth that happens on the other side of trauma. Exactly, and that there's studies. It's a theory um, that people who've been through things growing up or any kind of tra- trauma, even when in, in into adulthood, that it creates this desire. And need for growth, and I completely, I completely get it. Like I feel like that's where I am. Both of us, mm. like. But it makes so much sense because trauma in itself is stunting in your growth. Mm. Your development will slow down, and it sometimes stall if you are going through trauma in your, in your childhood in your young adolescence. Mm. So it's almost like as you come out the gates of all that trauma and leave it behind, this incredible neuroplasticity and self-survival mechanism kicks in. Mm. And I think I think you're right, it is what you and I are going through. And I think it's, it's the basis of how you and I became friends in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you see people that have been through things, so say like someone's had a, a car accident and they've lost both of their legs, but suddenly a year later they're achieving in the they're a Paralympian and they're doing this and they're doing that and they're just achieving next level. Mm-hmm. But they've been through something so traumatic but they've just they've just decided, well, no, this isn't going to stop me and I'm going to do this I'm, and potentially I'm going to do more than what I would have done had I not have gone through this trauma. And trauma changes your perspective. And I'm not just talking about trauma with a big T when people have got actual diagnosed trauma. I'm talking about the trauma of growing up queer mm. and going through homophobia and the things that you start doing to escape the impact of that homophobia and the yeah. mask you start putting on, that is traumatic. Mm. And to me, I feel like it's a really humbling but also a really tragic thought that there's a whole community of people that have the first ingredient for PTG to but, take place. But they're still stuck in the PTSD. Yeah. That's and exactly they're still it. dealing with it with alcohol and drugs and all sorts of other damaging things, but it's it's there. Everyone has the capability of moving into PTG. Yeah, it's it's a choice, mm. I think. Like, you couldn't say to somebody, oh, you need to stop doing this and start doing this mm. now. I think everyone has to realise it themselves. And to a degree, like, when you're a young adult, there's certain, you know, you want to party anyway a little bit yeah. and figure yourself out, but... As soon as, as you're ready, there is, like, so many different avenues to go down. But, yeah, no one can tell you to do it. You just kind of... You've got to realise it yourself. Mm. So, we're going to talk a little bit about some of those conscious decisions. Because George and I, if you haven't guessed by now, <laughs> have made some really shit decisions along the way. Oh, yeah. Um, haven't we all? 
Yeah. But we've also made some really good decisions. Mm. And there's no point sitting here being like, oh, yeah, you guys have got to make better decisions about self-care if you make want to be... Choices. Make good choices. <laughs> That's legit what George says to me every day. That's my tagline. My... That is your tagline. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk a bit about when we got it really fucking wrong. Mm. And for me, I feel like now I'm in a really, really lucky position because I feel like I am on the other side of my trauma. I've come through my shit Mm. and I feel like I I am healing and growing and I'm having that PTG thing that George was just talking about. Mm -hmm. But I think four or five years ago, I thought I was on the other end of my trauma, but I wasn't. And I got it into my head that how I was going to come out the other side of my trauma was I was going to give my inner child absolutely everything it wanted. Now, hearing myself say this now, like, this is a stupid idea, because I'm pretty sure everyone's inner child just wants strawberry ice cream and chips. Mm -hmm. But there's, like, a part of you that kicks in and goes, no, we can't have strawberry ice cream and chips every single night for dinner. (laughs) Like, you can't. But I decided to give my inner child free reign. Um, And basically, when I was little, I really, really liked my little pony, but I didn't let my... Well, like, I wasn't allowed loads and loads of them. So cut to four or five years ago, I'm in a high paid job, I've got a hefty bank balance and I've got an eBay account and I go on eBay and I proceed to purchase 200 My Little Ponies one after the other. Then I get the My Little Ponies, I bring them back to my house, like I squirrel them away from like the post office and then I lovingly, very lovingly (laughs) get a toothbrush (laughs) and a little sink of water and I cleaned all the little My Little Ponies up. And I learned to wash their hair and then I reset the hair to the precise dimensions of the factory curls, <laughs> which if you are a My Little Pony fan, let me tell you now, that you actually wrap the tail around the back leg. That's how they did it in the factory, in the Hasbro factory in the uh, 80s and 90s. Yeah. Then I put the tissue over the hair, <laughs> use a hairdryer to gently heat the hair so that it's nice and smooth. And I did that to 200 My Little Ponies under the banner of this is self-care and I fucking deserve it. That must have taken you so long. So long. You could have learnt Mandarin in the time that you did all that. I could have, but I didn't. (laughs) I decided to get Peppermint the My Little Pony and reset her fucking hair. And that was a form of, well, self-care to you. Yeah, and anyone who had a problem with it, I'd just be like, why are you trying to shit on my (laughs) self-care? Like, what is wrong with you? And they're like, yeah, okay, hon, like 200 My Little Ponies. If I'd have met you at that point, I'd be like, bloody hell. I, yeah, you're okay, hun. Hashtag. <laughs> Why like, is there my little pony cult upstairs? Oh, God. Yeah. But in the time, yeah, I guess you were telling yourself that you needed to do that. Yeah. It's not exactly harmful, that. It wasn't 200 bags of Coke. <laughs> that was you. <laughs> that, yeah. But, I mean, it's a funny story. Where are we with my little ponies now? They went back on eBay. I hope you got some money out of them. Oh, yes. Yeah, you would because oh, yeah. you made them look Because I actually got some really fucking expensive ones in that collection as well. Mm. Yeah. I, in terms of my personal experience, I actually wanted to talk about something, an actual experiment that I did, um, which is off the back of self-care decisions that people make. Um, so about two years ago, I decided that I wanted to eat 
absolute shit and drivel for a week to kind of understand how it was going to affect my mental health. Can I just say, because I know where this story is going, mm. George, you could have just contacted me and I would have just like told you everything you needed to know about it. Well... Because like, I actually did eat shit for like seven days a week. No, but so did I. Mean, I mean, I used to eat shit. So I used to eat, fa- I used to eat fast food three times a day. I'd have McDonald's for lunch, uh, be- breakfast, KFC for lunch and Burger King for dinner sometimes. And I'd have three or four cans of Relentless in that day. Then I'd have a Snickers and then I'd go and drink eight pints and do loads of drugs. I'm talking about, I did this experiment after I'd been eating clean for like six years. I wanted to eat and drink all the things that I used to, to see its effects on my mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, So as part of self-care, like just trying to add it in so that people are aware of their conscious and unconscious food decisions, Mm -hmm. basically. Because everything we eat and drink affects the way we feel, think and behave. And it's a decision to eat something it's a decision to drink something anyway so cut a long story short i was supposed to do this experiment for seven days uh, so i was basically eating muffins so like muffins and sugary cereal for breakfast i'm not saying don't eat a muffin my mouth is actually filling up with <laughs> so i'd eat muffins for <laughs> breakfast then that won't fill me up mm. so i'd have a bit of like chocolate pillows for cereal Oh, the the, yeah. the little crunchy ones with the chocolate? Yeah, nice. I some golden nuggets. And then like mid-morning, I'd have Love some, golden some nuggets. Haribo, some Monster Munch. What type of flavour? Uh, pickled onion. Oh, yeah. You ever put them on a sandwich? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really nice. Sorry, I'm ruining your fucking story. Well, you're not, but it's... But yeah, love a pickled onion. And then for lunch, sandwich. I might have had a pot noodle. Um, what else was I having for lunch? I bought some like burgers and oven chips and like shit like that. Basically just hella processed food. Then for dinner, like fast food, like McDonald's or pizza or whatever. So basically I was just eating crap. Then I was having meal deals, so sandwiches, Red Bull, crisps, chocolate as well. Um, After a couple of days, I got really tearful and I couldn't get off the couch. I didn't have any energy to walk the dog. I didn't have any energy to work out and I almost felt like my body didn't deserve to work out because I treated it with such disrespect. And then after day three, I started crying. And then after day four, I was literally, I felt like I'd fallen into depression. And when I started this like experiment, I wasn't depressed. How long ago did you do this? This is about two years ago, a year and a half ago, it was October. Um, yeah, about a year and a half ago. And I wasn't depressed when I started, but I had to stop it after five days because I just, I felt so terrible and the point that I learned from doing it was that a constant sugar crash emulates symptoms of depression. And that's what I learned. And there are so many people making unconscious decisions of eating crap food day in, day out. And they're depressed and they're anxious, Mm. but they're not making a connection that what they're putting in their body is contributing that. And I think it's really important about the the unconscious decisions. And I think people grow and they they try something and think, oh, yeah, that made me feel better. And sometimes we we don't check back in on, did it really make us feel better? Yeah. Um, And, like, I think it's, like, really interesting that experiment you did. And, like, you and I have spoken in the past about how my favourite food is, like, KFC. Like, I I feel... I'm not saying don't eat KFC. I I feel crap afterwards. Wow. That's the thing. Like, when I'm eating it, I am, like, positively fucking euphoric. Like, I'm in my happy place. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. When they tell you to go to your happy place, mine is at the bottom of a KFC bucket. But... About ten minutes after. I feel like shit. (laughs) Exactly. So, you'll get to the point where you'll 
you're so connected to how the food makes you feel. Like, mm-hmm. so every time I eat or drink something now, my body, I'm just like, we're so in tune that I'm getting to the point where I want to make these decisions not to even eat these mm-hmm. things anymore. But I, like, I love a burger and I still love it. Burgers don't really make yeah, me feel your, bad. that's your favourite food though. That's my jam. But if I eat chips with the burger, that makes me feel bad. Yeah. So if I know that I've got something to do later in the day and I don't want to feel tired, lethargic, then I'll just have a burger on its own. So almost like I've tested it. And by no means, I'm not telling people not to eat chocolate pillows. Every now and then, if you eat chocolate pillows and that's your jam, do it. But if you do it every day and coupled with lots of other other eating choices, it can make you feel like shit. I definitely agree. Like, particularly with my massage, I find I give my best massages... When I'm feeling really in touch with my body, mm. I like to feel hydrated. I like to feel like I'm not bloated. So typically when I'm massaging, I don't eat a lot of food. I'll eat little and often throughout the day, like little Great. things. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> I'm like, I could fucking shag the arse of a fucking meal deal mm. up co-op. And I go up there and I get the BLT sandwich, oh. get the, the monster, the green one. Um, some salt vinegar. You get crisp. the mo- you drink monster. Yeah, I know. Oh my god! Like it's it's bad occasionally, occasionally, and then I'll be like, oh yeah, meal deal, and there'll be this voice in my head going, yeah, self care. You get the meal deal. I come back and eat the meal deal for like utter shit. That monster will literally so such high caffeine content. You it's don't so even bad. drink coffee. You must oh. have been off nut after you've had a mo- can of monster. Yeah. So, I'm like, who wants a massage? Do I massage? <laughs> I'll massage you. I'll give you a really good massage. <laughs> but then what, what goes up must come down. Yeah, and then I plummet, and then guaranteed a couple hours later, I'll be sat on the sofa, I'll be done with all my clients. And you'll and... be questioning life. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be phoning dignitas. <laughs> but the point being is, like, so many people don't make that connection yeah. and don't make that choice. Like, now, I'm sure that you don't buy... I'm sure you do every now and then, but don't do that as often as you did no 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 not at all and that was one of the things that i really learned in massage school about about being aware of your own body and your own energy yeah but i'm aware of those slip-ups that i have and i know it's a slip-up as soon as i go to co-op I'm like, <laughs> <it's monster time. laughs> yeah no i know what you mean another another decision that was really hard this was a total this is probably my biggest self-care decision apart from stopping drugs and alcohol. that was a big one too that was a big one um was to quit coffee and all the coffee lovers out there basically i was the biggest coffee lover i used to make a liter of coffee in the flask before i went to bed and then i took the flask up to bed with me and then i went to sleep and then i woke up in the morning and i rolled over and i was like mm, coffee and oh i God. and i poured it out whilst i was still in bed so i used to drink a liter of coffee before i even got out of bed wow yeah and then i'd go to work and have two or three coffees at work, and then I'd have multiple teas. I was like a proper coffee addict. Mm-hmm. So I'd obviously quit all these things and put it all into coffee. Um, but then I used to cry and have these periods of m- such anxiety. And I was always just telling myself, I don't know why I'm so anxious. And I'd be sitting under my desk at work, crying and shaking, and just never put the connection down to my caffeine consumption. Mm-hmm. So... After about a few months, I realised I was I was testing it. So every time I had a coffee, I feel this way. Then I reduced it, so I'd only have a coffee at certain times. I'd only have a coffee before I worked out. I'd only do this, only do that. And it got to the point where I was just like, I physically cannot put myself through this anymore. Mm. And I had to quit, and I just went on to decaf coffee. And it's, it's definitely had a huge impact on you, because I've seen you 
on coffee. Oh my god, the first time Anna and Can I you met. What story I'm about to tell. <laughs> the first time Anna and I met, we'd set up. I could come around for a massage. Never I, ever met before this. And ever. I, yeah. Ever. And I dropped Becky at work, and she bought me a coffee, mm-hmm. and didn't check. So I'm really like conscious of it now. But I check with the person who gives it to me that it's decaf, and she didn't check that it was decaf. And I was drinking it, so I dropped Becky off drinking it on the way, and I got. Just spoiler alert. It definitely was not decaf. It was not fucking decaf. Then my doorbell goes. <laughs> and I open the door to this new person that I've never met before who's got eyes like fucking saucers. And I'm like, is this person high? And I'm like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. Bring George in. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm so sorry. I think I've had real coffee, real coffee. I don't drink real coffee, just so you know, but someone's given it to me. And basically, George like spoke at like a hundred miles per hour, came into the massage space, hopped on the massage bed, and like I'm trying to find a gap to ask, what can I do for you? How does your body feel? <laughs> and George is just like the Duracell buddy. So then we get George laid down on the bed, and literally the eyes are still like saucers. I think I told you my whole life story in, in that five hour. Minutes, yeah. well, in that whole <laughs> massage, I did not shut up. And people come to have massage to relax. And you must have been massaging me like, fucking hell, girl, just shut the fuck up and let me massage. And then I remember leaving and thinking, I've literally just told this woman my life story about my dad, about my drug addiction, about my trauma growing up as a child. And I didn't even fucking know her. And yet here we are doing a podcast telling well, everyone else that whole story. <laughs> um... Point being, my self-care decision, I decided to quit caffeine, even though I loved it. I loved the taste of coffee. Um, And then a couple of months later, my body was like, bitch, you can't even drink tea anymore. I won't allow it, so I can't even drink tea anymore. So I'm on decaf tea and coffee, which actually tastes very similar to normal tea and coffee. So I'm just saying, people out there, if you suffer with serious anxiety... Just make an assessment of your caffeine consumption because it really does affect it. That that probably takes us into advice, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, it does. A, a, a true assessment of your caffeine consumption can make all the difference to your anxiety. And now, a year later, I've not had any panic attacks. I've not had to take any like beta blockers or anything for my anxiety at all. You ready for me to play that jingle to go into the advice section? Oh, right, yeah. Podcast. Play the jingle. (laughs) Okay, so yeah. Moving on nicely into (laughs) advice. I know we did the the coffee advice there, but let's move into some other advice. Yeah. Why don't you start? We've spoken a lot about, like, throughout the whole podcast, not just this episode, about the things that we do as individuals which we think have contributed to where we're at Mm -hmm. um and i honestly think one of the biggest pieces of advice for self-care that i can give is about water um so many people don't drink enough water it started for me about 10 years ago i set myself a new year's resolution of drinking three to four liters of water a day Mm -hmm. just to see what would happen it completely changed my life and now it's like my absolute baseline that if ever i'm not feeling good about something either myself or a situation or i'm feeling anxious or headachey yeah, or, yeah i ask myself how much water have i had and if i haven't had enough i need to get it in me and drinking water it calms my anxiety it stops panic attacks it makes me focus 
it, it gets me going for the day. And I think... There's multiple studies now showing oh, how much God, it improves yeah. your mental health, not just your physical. Uh, historically, we've always linked it to our physicality, but mentally, if you're dehydrated, your brain cannot prioritise what it needs to yeah. do. Um, so Your yeah. brain needs water to heal mm. from trauma, everything. Yeah. Um, and we, we found out that the brain is 70% water, and I think sometimes people just really aren't aware of that if you're thinking about you're drinking caffeine dehydrating yourself you're going to the bathroom you're sweating stress will dehydrate you anger will dehydrate you mm-hmm. trauma will dehydrate you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so do the your brain test. needs 70 percent water yeah and when you start thinking about that if you're just drinking a thimble well it has to prioritize its tasks yeah so your brain has to prioritize your lung function mm-hmm. that's like primary your heart and lung <laughs> breathing it's breathing important. digestion mm-hmm. All these things that have to happen, so some of its other processes will get put down the priority list mm-hmm. if you're dehydrated, like serotonin pumping, production. Yeah, and like if you're pumping your body with lots of salt as well, your body's going to be using the water that you do have mm. to try and water that down a bit, mm. to try and keep your body going. I'm parched just talking about this. Like We're, makes... we're always parched. Oh. We're thirsty bitches, mm. like all the time. But yeah. And that's the thing, one. if you feel thirsty... You're already dehydrated. People think, oh, well, I'm not thirsty. I don't need water. Your body telling you you're thirsty. That's your body like, I really, really need water, bitch. Like, please fucking give me water. But I just, I drink it even when I don't need it now. Yeah. It's just like a habit. It's a really good habit to get into. It's also great on the sideline, like, for all other processes, like weight loss or this, Mm -hmm. strength gain. Like, you can't do it if you're dehydrated. Toxins getting out your body. Exactly. Everything. So my my number one tip for self-care whether we're talking about just in general or we're talking about a community of people who have trauma in really, really high numbers, who have struggled with anxiety and anger and identity and all these things, my top tip is drinking water. Because if you're not drinking your three to four litres, mm. you're already setting your body up as a at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. George. I'm moving into... What's your top tip? It's quite broad. But obviously, my main self-care tip is exercise. Because that's what's changed my life. Like, that's what... That was a choice that I made that I wanted to start exercising. And I wanted to do it continuously without stopping. Because like what I used to do before, do it for a couple of weeks. Then quit for a few months, do it for a couple of weeks. And my mental health really suffered. Um, so... To commit to yourself to say that you're going to do a form of exercise weekly is one of the best self-care things that you mm. can do. Um, it might be that you don't like the gym or you don't like running. Like I'm not really into running, so you, you almost have to try and find the thing that you really enjoy. Like You might be someone who does the Charleston or fencing or basketball. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like You don't have to limit it to the gym or running. Because that's what people do if they don't know. Um, exercise, like, changed my life. And To put it mildly. To put it absolutely mildly. Like, if I hadn't found that and incorporated that into, as part of my self-care routine, I don't know where I would be. Um, endorphins are 200 times stronger than morphine. So they are our, our natural mm. painkiller and natural stress relief. So... On it's a bad that conscious day. decision again. It, it is a conscious decision, but on a bad day, if you can make a conscious decision to 
leave the house and go for a walk or a run rather than go to the happy shopper and buy like coffee cake i used to go and buy a coffee cake at the happy shopper it's really good it's a whole coffee cake, cake. whole cake you know, this cake. little cheap coffee cake you can yeah. buy at the ha- that's what i used to do yeah but i love coffee cake anyway um <laughs> make the conscious decision to exercise instead and plan in that coffee cake on a day when you deserve it as opposed to when you feel like crap is a conscious decision that will change your life in my mm. opinion do you know what i mean i do babe yeah after you next one <laughs> it's me um so my other top tip for self-care is about sleep yeah mm. and th- this is such a big thing for people who are going through trauma and who've had stuff go on when they were younger your body processes trauma mostly when you're asleep mm-hmm. right because everything else is turned off it's got a nice free space um if you're not taking care of your sleep hygiene again like with the water you're setting yourself up at a disadvantage um I'm really, really strict about getting my minimum eight hours sleep a night. It's really, really important to me. Um, my bed is my happy place because I want to give my brain space to process everything mm-hmm. it needs to process. What I really like doing at the moment, um, which will go into your now, your next tip, to be honest, um, is uh, meditating yeah. before bed and then leaving my subconscious with those thoughts to process whilst I'm asleep. I do gratitude thoughts whilst I'm falling asleep, if I'm not doing yoga nidra, which is another one. Just off the back of that, though, can I just say, mm. I don't feel good when I get eight hours sleep. Do you not? No. I feel better if I get seven. Well, different people yeah, are just... different. That's the thing. I think everyone sometimes thinks that you've got to get the eight hours, but some people do perform better or yeah. less, and it's about knowing what is your you have to test your it. number. And my, my number is eight. Great. And that's like the average number they say, isn't it? Like, that's the best average. Yeah, but for I'm, me... I'm a basic bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I tested it and I was like, if I get eight, I just feel more drowsy and more tired. So I'm just saying, like, I think seven is a good minimum. Some Sometimes I even feel better off six. My body wakes up naturally, but... But that's the thing. You can't work out what your number is if every single night you're drinking and you're hungover because oh, your yeah. sleep's going to be affected. So it's all about those conscious decisions and working out what you need to be truly taking care of yourself so that you can work out, do you actually even really need to have the glass of wine? Yeah, yeah. So meditation, like I say, mm. is... I love it. But historically, if someone had someone suggested meditation to me, I'd be like, ugh, ugh, I haven't got time for that. Fuck off. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not into that. Like, Fuck off. I'm going to go get a coffee cake from Happy Shopper. Uh, no, I've, I was... When I was turning into a bit of a meathead at the gym, like I'd found the gym, I was like, fuck off, I'm taking my pre-workout, I'm going to the gym, I'm lifting heavy weights, I do not meditate, that is not who I am. But I still wasn't in a good place mentally when I was like that. Um, But then I got more relaxed in my view of meditation. Like, if, if you say to someone who doesn't meditate, you need to meditate, that is instantly a turn off. I say to my clients, download this app, and listen to this while you're going to sleep. And instantly they don't get, they don't switch off from it because meditation as a term for some people can be too overwhelming. Yeah, it can be quite a true term. Well, just just overwhelming for them to do, to sit cross-legged with their finger and thumb on their knees, like pose like that. And meditation doesn't have to be like no, that. No, I meditate lying down. Yeah, I, I depend, it depends on what type of meditation I'm mm. doing. But sometimes I sit up, sometimes I lie down, sometimes yoga nidra i put on it's like this body scan type of meditation i put that on when i go to sleep um i use an app called insight timer which has got like 
so many thousands of different audios on there. But one that I really want to talk about, I, I listen to a lot of self-love mm. um, meditations. Yeah. And I've been doing that now for about six months because there's no opportunity for you to tell yourself you love yourself in person. We just don't do that. And until I started listening to these meditations... I didn't think about it. One of them made me cry. Like, I was listening to it, and I had to put my hand on my heart and hand on my belly. So it was a sitting meditation. And say I love you, like, whether in your head or out loud. And it made me cry, because I was like, I don't do that, and we don't do that mm-hmm. as people. Um, so it just explores different thoughts that you wouldn't have as well when you have meditation. Like With meditation, I always feel like it's... When I drop into meditation, I feel like it's slipping beneath all the noise and conscious thoughts. Yeah. And you're left with kind of like this empty room and trying to work out what, what is still there, what comes into that room for you. A great analogy for meditation for me that I heard was basically like you're sitting in a traffic jam and we all know when you're sitting in a traffic jam, it is annoying and it's stressful and you've got an appointment, you now know you're going to be late. People are beeping their horns and shouting and meditation is like right being in the traffic jam stepping out of your car then crossing over the central reservation barrier and there's a hot air balloon right there Mm -hmm. and you're like oh buzzing and you get in the hot air balloon um and you start floating up and you get up to sky level and suddenly it just goes quiet and you can't hear anything i don't know if you've ever been paragliding off the back of a boat but you get up and you cannot hear anything it's it's so so quiet and then you look down over the hot air balloon and you can see the traffic jam you can see the lights but you're just not upset or annoyed or stressed about it anymore but because those are earthly feelings yeah so you know you're in that traffic jam but you're not angry about it and that analogy for meditation for me was like that's so deep and that is totally how it makes me feel like before I started meditating I was literally teetering on the edge of every single thing that went wrong it would send me into overdrive but now if something goes wrong I I can manage it really well like yesterday this is just a really small example yesterday I bought coffee from Costa I got home decaf oh of course decaf just checking didn't want want to and I got home and gave Becky her coffee and then I gave her a cuddle and then I dropped my whole coffee on the floor and (laughs) old me would have been like oh for fuck's sake yeah yeah okay yeah I've just dropped my coffee yeah on top of everything else that happened today but yesterday I was like oh I dropped my coffee and I remember feeling really proud about the way that I handled it. You didn't go deaf content? No. I was just like, well, it's just a coffee. Yeah. But back historically, I would have let that ruin my whole day because I've driven to the place, I've queued up, I've got it, I bought it at home, I've dropped it. (laughs) It's quite funny. It's funny, but it's so, (laughs) so small, such a tiny thing that means nothing. Yeah. But yet those tiny things ruin our day sometimes yeah. and meditation has helped me realize the grand scheme of things and not let these small things get to me yeah sometimes with my meditation I'm like I like to do meditation in silence and I also like meditation where I just listen to like nature sounds mm-hmm. um sometimes listen to the rain on an app I have which George hates because George hates the rain I'm getting better Your with boy. the rain <laughs> one That's time I asked George do you like the rain and she went yes I love the rain <laughs> 
And I was like, what? And I don't really know very well. And she went, I'm really sorry. That was a lie. I hate the rain. I'm trying to convince myself I like the rain. I'm, yes, I love the rain. <laughs> so trying... much passion. But I've been meditating to rain sounds to try and... Oh, good. Yeah. And the other day I was out walking the dog and it was raining. And I felt I'm, I'm becoming more resilient to it. But I've just told myself my whole life that I hate the rain. And it's a mindset. And I know that I can change it. It's just my perception of it. Um, but yeah, I meditate to rain sounds. I now. meditate to rain as well. Um, but sometimes I like to try and trick my subconscious a bit. And I'll listen to um, this philosopher called Alan Watts, um, who I'm a really big, massive fan of. And he, all his speeches you can hear online on YouTube. He's dead now, um, but you can still hear all his stuff. RIP Alan Watts. <laughs> yeah. And I like to drop myself into meditation headspace whilst playing Alan Watts in the background. Mm. So that's what my subconscious is listening to. Mm. And I'm just sort of taking myself into that sort of quiet room in that hot air balloon that you described. Because mm. um, it matters what your subconscious hears. You can curate the noise and the voices you listen to in your life. Yeah. Um, so I like to do that. Some some meditations on the insight timer are the theta state, which is like the state of between sleep and awake. And that's when your subconscious, I think, is the most... Do you say fetus? Theta. Oh, T-H-E-T-A. Theta. The, the, it's the point where your subconscious Oh, is beta, theta. Theta. Yeah, yeah there's, yeah, there's yeah, different yeah. ones. There's um, rama as well. Yeah. But this one particularly, if you listen to it and you weren't meditating, halfway through, I kind of woke up and it's different sounds and different sayings layered over each other mm-hmm. and it can sound a bit weird but it's basically trying to drip feed it into your subconscious in the most effective way well, that bad. it's really it's really quite interesting um have you got any more i've got one more that i'd like to my last one and i feel like it's something that kind of underpins everything that we speak about on this podcast is the importance of growth mm. i like to check in with myself and make sure that my pleasure and my happiness is coming from things that are growing me, not stagnating me. Yeah. And I think particularly when you've been through a lot of the stuff that people have been in this community, it's so important not to stagnate. Mm -hmm. Don't just sit in murky waters. Yeah. You've got to move forward and you can make conscious decisions. Decisions. You've got to make conscious decisions about what you're doing in your life and whether you want to stay sat where you are or whether you want to grow. And you can expose yourself to stimuli that's going to be growing you. So things like everything with my massage, like exploring touch, I feel like it's it's beneficial for my clients as, as much as it is for me. Mm. And meditating and studying and constantly looking to like educate myself and understand things more and practicing gratitude practicing gratitude is so essential to growth because you learn that it's not about happiness being a destination or somewhere that something you've got to achieve happiness is is a state of mind yeah which is like what you've achieved where when you dropped your coffee it didn't become the end of the world because it's just a coffee it's just a coffee i think that's that's the main thing for me always always move forward don't stagnate and i feel like for me, that ties in with what you were saying about post-traumatic growth. You can come out the other side of trauma. Yeah. Um, and you can grow. You can grow beyond anything you would have imagined even before the trauma. And I, I think that's the main thing for me. Just always keep moving forward. Don't take your foot off the gas. No. 
growth learning is a big thing for me like mm-hmm. I I don't waste any time now where I try to learn like even I'll listen to audiobooks when I'm walking the dog now because part of me is like wow I'm getting an hour a day that I'm missing there but now I choose to listen to books even when I do that so just continuously looking for things that mm. for growth basically yeah. my very last little bit of advice um that I actually kind of got from that self-love meditation I found that there was things that I do every day that I repeat that are chances that I can tell myself or thank myself so practice gratitude and tell myself that I love myself so my shower has got two glass panels so basically things that you do every day like clean your teeth shower all these little things my shower's got two glass panels and the squeegee it's it's six wipes down the panels so now for the last six months every time i wipe the glass i thank my body for what it's done for me that day so i like thank it for the workout or Mm -hmm. thank it for this or i thank whatever and then i tell myself i love myself and then i tell myself that i love the part of my body that historically i didn't like very much so i've been saying it to myself every day for the last six months and I've made it conscious decision to do that I don't say it out loud because I'm like it sometimes would sound silly but I just do it in my head I think it's really really interesting like the first time you told me about this um yeah I I just think it's a really really powerful thing it's so powerful and it's such an intimate thing in the shower as well it started as a joke like Becky and I we were in the shower and it started as me saying Wipe away your fears, wipe away your doubts with the squeegee, which is ridiculous. It's so stupid. But I, I kept... I was saying it to her, and I was joking, because I did it in an accent. Like, a really... I was like, wipe away your fears. <laughs> I was going to... Wipe away your doubts. And I don't know what kind of Southern American <laughs> weird accent it was. And it became this joke. And obviously, we stopped doing it, but I continued saying it in my head. And then I just changed the things that I was saying. So I don't even know if she knows that I still do it, but... She does now. Well, she does now. But I, like, my hips were a big thing for me and my body, and I hated them. And I, no matter how much I trained or how much someone would say that they weren't a problem, it was a problem for me. Mm-hmm. But now, like, I've been telling myself this much over the last six months that I, if you believe what you hear, and if you tell yourself something every day, you start to believe it. And if you start to say nice things to yourself, mm-hmm. which we never do, then you start to believe it. Yeah, so absolutely. now that's your subconscious is listening. Yeah. So that's like one of the big big things for my self care routine now. Yeah. So we're gonna round off now. And I feel like as we're rounding off I just have this like really strong feeling that George and I are in really privileged positions with everything we've been through to to now be making a podcast episode about self-care in the queer community. Had you said that to me 10 years ago? Oh, like, fuck off. I have no idea how to even look after myself. I'll all. be like, self-care? Do you mean My Little Pony? Let me show you my 200 My Little Ponies. Um, but yeah, so we hope that this is landed for the people it needs to land to, um, and the people who need some food for thought. Even if you've only taken one thing from it, it's still yeah. one thing to Yeah, definitely. About, yeah. Um, feels like a very sombre... Hmm. episode well yeah sometimes they have to be don't they yeah. but when you start when you talk about meditation it, it makes you somber like you can't yeah. talk about meditation and be erratic no it just doesn't work does it no, but... 
So we're going to say goodbye. Bye. Bye. Did you make any snacks? No. What, what, what you got? <laughs> Dust. Uh, anything else? Um, I've got rice cakes, peanut butter, banana. Yeah. Maybe yeah, some okay. honey. No, no honey. No honey. You in a sprinkling of Coke kind of mood? Um, or? No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>